millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Work Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen as we once again catch up with you as we have plenty to talk about. First, we've got the game on Saturday, which I promise we won't spend too long dissecting. And we also have the events from Monday night to chew the fat over. So to help me run through it all, we have Craig Chapman. Hello, Craig. Hello, Miss. How are you? I'm not bad, I'm not bad. I was actually, and we, we kind of mentioned it before we start recording, but I was trying to think back, and I'm I'm sure the last pod we did was that hungover pod after the playoff final weekend, because I'm, I'm pretty sure we haven't done one since. Well, since then, there's been a, a lot of talking points. I think we'll be here for a couple of hours to go through and unravel them all, but... Uh... <laughs> Quite a bit of cover off from the past few days. Well, that's it. I think it's going to be a slightly different tone, this pod, to the last one we did, to be fair. You know, let's start with Saturday's game and get that out of the way. I had family commitments this weekend, so I couldn't make the game. I couldn't even watch it on the sly. So I've, I've been playing catch-up. And, you know, I was thinking back to my last word on the midweek pod last week. And I said we'd wipe the floor with Cardiff, just purely because looking at Cardiff, I thought they were there for the taking. I mean, because I wasn't there, Craig, I mean, are you able to sum up what went wrong? Because I've only been able to read the reports, you know, the main BBC one, the general one, Andy's ratings on the site. Can you summarise for me what went wrong on Saturday? Uh, where do we start? <laughs> uh, probably all went south. At about two o'clock, I think, when the team news came out, look, it was it was poor. It was really, really poor. You know, Tony Mowbray, he'd mentioned in the week that the Huddersfield game was the worst performance of his time in charge, which was probably a little harsh, all things considered. But I think the, the card of performance, I mean, that, that really does eclipse that. It was so below par. Ultimately, the scoreline actually flattened us in the end because, you know, they really should have had the game wrapped up by half time. What it demonstrated for me was why we are so heavily reliant on some of the lads who are out injured. And I think it showed the obvious importance of some of the missing senior players as well. You may be looking at Alex Pritchard, certainly Corey Evans. And, you know, you kind of get why those two weren't involved because at their age, they are going to have difficulty to play a Saturday, Tuesday every week. But the lack of experience in midfield in particular was really noticeable. And we came up against a very aggressive side and we paid the price. I think we just got it wrong straight away from kickoff really I think Tony Mowbray made the comment after the game that we just started off badly I mean you mentioned what he said after the Huddersfield game I thought it was a bit of psychology from Mowbray I thought he was trying to you know the players were got three points away from home and he was almost trying to slap them back down because we haven't won back-to-back games but do you think I don't know I just think is it kind of a mental hurdle we've got to get over this season that to win those 
back-to-back games because it just seems that whenever we get the win, we just seem to kind of crash back down to earth with it with a performance like that, or at least a, a result that doesn't go the right way. Uh, yeah, I think I mean that's a good point, but I think probably what you know ultimately makes the championship one of I suppose the most entertaining leagues going. Any team can you know go turn up, have a go, and, and take points off the other. But that being said, I think the longer this continues, then you know it is going to be a bit of an underlying issue. It is going to be the monkey on the back, so to speak. And uh, the home form, it has been addressed as as worrying, rightly so. But uh, look, I think we've we've won a lot of games this season so far in, in varying ways. You know, we've we've went and won it at Redden in a particular special style where we've we've played them off the park. We've come from behind by beating, say, Wigan at home. So we've won in, in a, a degree of different ways. But I think in terms of winning back-to-back, ultimately what we need to do is by hook or by crook we've just got to do it and like I say I mean you kind of touched on the psychology of it but I, I just think I think over the course of the past few weeks where we're limping towards the halfway line now obviously for, with the adjournment for the, for the World Cup but I don't think it's it's as big an, an issue as, as perhaps has been made out I just think ultimately this is the nature of this division you are going to win one week you're going to lose one week however I think what we need to do, obviously, after the season picks up again after the World Cup, hopefully, once we've got our stronger players back, is, is we're going to have to try and put some form of run, of form together, and we are going to have to try and kick on because, you know, as quick as we can get up the table, we can also get dragged down very quickly as well. It's it's very very tight now. I mean, you've just mentioned obviously how it is in the championship, and that you know that's kind of how you've got a big chunk of teams who are exactly that. They're just inconsistent for, for whatever reason, you know, whether it's a style of play or whether it's the kind of makeup of the squad. But I mean, just looking at our squad and the way we play, I mean, is that the kind of the way we play with committing lots of players forward and having, you know, an average age of sometimes 22, 23? Have we just got to expect that this season? Uh, I think with the current course of direction that the club has taken, I guess so, because we have invested in this model where we are trying to you know, bring a lot of younger guys through. But I think it has been very apparent of late, the likes of if you lose a player of, say, Corey Evans's experience and his importance to the side, we don't really have anyone like for like to come in. So there is a lot of young bodies in there. And I guess some of that naivety has been exposed. And uh, we do have a lot of um, of wonderfully wonderfully gifted footballers. But like I say, I think I think what we what we are lacking at the moment is is a lot of depth. And I, I think at the moment, like I say, what we need to do is we just need to get over the next hurdle of the Birmingham game. And then hopefully we can we can reassess what we need come January. But I think this is to be expected. Like I say, obviously, it's a learning curve. There's a lot of players who have been on this journey with us so far who don't have championship experience. And although that is, you know, kind of subsidised, so to speak, with the likes of your Danny Baths and, and Bailey Wright. But, you know, they can only take us so far. Like I say, this season, it's going to be a learning curve. This still remains a team and, and a club in it in a massive transition. But hopefully, if we can plug some of those gaps in the squad, we can we can return to a decent bit of form. I mean, just to bookmark this game, because like I said, I wasn't there, but I just wanted to... I'm trying not to end on this point when talking about the game, but <laughs> I saw Andy's uh, ratings on the site, and that you know the headline for Andy's ratings was that it was the worst performance of the season. I mean, is that is that pretty much a fair statement for, for Saturday's game? Yeah, I think so. I think just in terms of... We, we just looked poor all over the pitch um like i said beforehand the results it certainly flattered us there was a complete lack of understanding at times we were like a rabbit in the headlights for a large large portion of that game um and we lacked a, a lot of quality that being said that doesn't necessarily 
mean that these players are bad or they've gone bad overnight you're going to get games like this at all levels we had games like this in league one we're going to get games like this in the premier league as well where you can't string any passes together you can't you can't do the simple things and and that's just what it was like it was one of those afternoons but you know you give cardiff their credit they ultimately were aggressive in what they'd done. They forced us into a lot of errors. They were obviously, you know, responsible for pressing us and enforcing the penalty, which on a positive note, Anthony Patterson made a tremendous save from. Mm, but like save. I say, although it can be viewed as deflating, you know, ultimately we're still in a healthy position. We're still in a position where I think a lot of people would have took at the start of the season. So I don't think all hope is lost as of yet. I think we can be quite reactionary as a fan base, but you, you know, like I say, we've got to put this one to bed and, and hopefully when we return from the World Cup and we come back to the Millwall game in December, we can use that as a benchmark to kickstart the season again. Yeah, well, we'll stop that discussion specifically about on the pitch on Saturday. Just looking in general, because you mentioned our, our home form and, you know, I mean, I, I get to more away games than I do home games a lot. I try and, try and get up and get to them, but two wins from nine, 10 points from a possible 27 at home. I don't know, can you put your finger on it? Because, I mean, you, you kind of get a feel of the atmosphere and what it's like. Does it feel like there's, you know, pressure on the players? Because, I mean, you look at games like, you know, Norwich, we were fantastic. We deserved more out of the game. You looked at um, Burnley game. Obviously, we were probably one of the best performances of the season for that first 45 minutes and then suddenly turned on its head. So it's not like, it doesn't seem to me like the team have got a mental block of not playing well at home. I think we've played yeah. some of our best best football at home. And I can't put my finger on it, and it seems like Tony Mowbray can't either. But, I mean, I mean, what is it with our home form? Why, why have we only got 10 points out of 27 this season? I think, you know, one of the the big factors in, in obviously the difference between, say, this season and last and maybe over the course of the past couple of seasons is there is a huge difference in quality all of a sudden. And... Look, although it doesn't, it doesn't make for pretty reading. You are right in the sense two wins. It's two wins over basically the teams that we came up with. I mean, ultimately, if we're trying to look for a positive, we played Rotherham kind of the midpoint of the year in League One at home, and we couldn't get close to them. And on the occasion that we played them this time round in this division, we absolutely battered them. Wigan, we come from behind to win, but um, I, I think look in respect to the atmosphere that. The one thing I would never want to do is, you know, kind of openly criticise and, and say like it's been a bad place to play because the reality is it, it's just not true. That being said, though, I think a lot of teams who have had maybe previous experience of coming to the stadium like in the past of players have played here. They know that as a fan base, we can get on players' backs. You know, there can be moans and groans um, if things aren't going our way. Obviously, we haven't been blessed with the, the best or almost competent referees so far this season. So I think... You know, frustrations can boil over at times. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think in terms of the numbers we get through the door, fantastic. Certainly can't be questioned. But yeah, I think as a fan base, we perhaps can do a little bit more in terms of being a little more vociferous in the ground and, and trying to, to roar them on. But that being said, I think that's a two-way street. So although it was very, very flat on Saturday, I think if we came out and, you know, we maybe scored in the first 10 minutes, the atmosphere would have just been completely different. And I think that that will go hand in hand. So, you know, next time round, we've got Millwall. I think we've got West Bromwich Albion a week or so later. You maybe win that game, you win the next one. The atmosphere will pick up again, absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, as it closes towards Christmas as well, we're going to have much bigger crowds as well. 
Of course, maybe that comes with more expectance. Fans as well, you know, those who perhaps haven't been, who maybe come for the seasonal games and things like that. But look, one thing I would say, I think the fans, broadly speaking, have done well. They're staying with the team. A lot of them are very, very realistic in terms of knowing how difficult it's going to be this season. Like I say, this is it's a, it's a much, much tougher set of opposition that we're going to come across every single week. What we need to do now is we just need to win any sort of game. We'll play a beautiful football but I dare say that we would have took the scruffiest, ugliest performance of winning 1-0 the other day rather than, you know, all of this ticky-tacky stuff. But yeah. I, I'm confident it'll come. I don't think that we're going to be in trouble towards the end of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly the same. I'm ex exactly the same place. But um, um, just just one last point about the weekend, again, because just been reading um, a few, well, quite a lot of comments about it. Because obviously you, you were there at the weekend and you take your kids. And whenever I go to the game, I take my kids as well. There was some reports of, you know, whether it was been a few reports of bother after the game. I, I'm, I'm sure you were kind of away by then and not around then. But I'm not sure, did you experience anything or see anything about, you know, some of those reports of the fans not maybe behaving themselves as they should after the game or anything during the game? Yeah, it's becoming a bit um, of a regular occurrence now, to be honest with you. The, the, the last couple of home games, there has been incidents, whether in the ground or away from the ground. And to be honest, I mean, that really does need clamping down. The other day in particular, it kind of kicked off basically from, from kickoff, really, in terms of, look, I, I know it still draws a big argument whether people agree or disagree but still think that's quite poor that that is a football club that we, we don't support the the taking of the knee like i say again that's just my opinion i don't necessarily speak on behalf of anybody else and i think a lot of people may have you know opinions on other things that it may represent but i think football clubs have been quite clear as to what they are demonstrating and what they are doing it for that is an anti-racism gesture and I think it's quite poor that that you know such a big song and dance is made about people just booing us like it, it like, and it's not just pockets it's it really is loud like I say I, I can't quite get my head around that one um I never have it's maybe something that if, if if you don't like it maybe just sit silent for a couple of seconds respect it beyond that obviously there has been you know a number of reports about um things being thrown on the pitch that in particular needs condemning from the football club. It wasn't just uh, bits of the poppy display rolled up, you know, scrunched bits of paper. There was a video that was circulating on Twitter where something was thrown at the uh, the Cardiff goalkeeper that people reportedly said was like a, a lighter. Again, I can't comment on what that particularly was, but, it, you know, it doesn't look good. We've had an opposition player walk around the pitch. Things have been thrown at him. And I think, to be honest, as fans, what we, we we need to do is we need to really come out and condemn that because we're quick enough to throw our hands up and say it's not on when, you know, the fans in the North stand up are throwing things at fans below. And I think I think we've just got to demonstrate a better level of behaviour. But, you know, it's it's not isolated incidents. These have been reported a number of times now, um, in particular in the South stand. And I know that the club are aware. There has been obviously comments about safety and things like that. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd ideally like to think that moving forward, you know, we can we can try and just get past some of their daft behaviour, really, because the Sunderland fans, we, we know when we're fully focused on supporting the team, what a difference we can be. And I just think some of the things we've been sidetracked with in recent games, it's, it's been silly in terms of, you know, the, the stuff about James McLean. Obviously, like I say, Saturday's antics. The last thing we want to do is develop a, a reputation as a football club that, you know, we're, we're not very nice people. Um so like I say, it wasn't the best of atmospheres um, to be in and amongst. But again, the vast majority of the fans, they do their job. Um, these are just, 
isolated incidents and I would never say it's a it's a reflection as as us as a whole but um yeah it just needs to stop and ideally I'd like to think that you know not just us I think other fan groups can perhaps come out and obviously demonstrate um their opinions on that as well yeah yeah I completely agree mate and and you know taking the knee as well the reaction to that yeah you know, I'm, I'm with you don't really kind of get my head around that but I mean just in terms of going to the game I mean Obviously, going to away games, you kind of, you know, you expect a, a bit more, you know, different atmosphere at away games. But at home games, I'm kind of getting to the point where, you know, I, I do think twice about taking the kids now. Sometimes you do kind of think, you know, what kind of an atmosphere is it going to be like and, and all that sort of yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, I I don't typically, you know, kind of get involved in terms of reading things on social media and or, you know, kind of the message boards of such. But I did make a, a particular visit over to, to Ready to Go. Um, on the weekend after the game, so I just you know read other other people's you know kind of varying of events of of what happened, and obviously there was you know the the fighting that took place where some of the Sunderland fans had you know it kind of started some some aggro with some families who'd who'd come to support Cardiff, and I mean even behaviour like that, it's just it's not warranted, it's not needed. We know obviously improvements need to be made in terms of obviously the policing of certain areas around the ground, but even stuff like that it's just it's not needed and um you know once upon a time Sunderland were called the family club and I think um if we can maybe you know kind of instill that sort of motive because like you're saying you're maybe thinking once or twice about bringing the kids and you know that sort of thing might have a lasting impact and thinking actually no I'm not gonna not gonna bother bringing them that that's the next generation of fans I'll be honest I've sat in the same place where I have now for over 20 years and I think towards the end of um, this season I'll probably be making provisions to actually move our seats um I've got two young kids and look I'm not one of those you know people who takes offense at swearing or anything like that I just simply tell my little girl it's at the football and whatever you hear at the football you just you know <laughs> block it out so to speak um but yeah like I say there's there's some things that I, I really do disagree with and like I say if we can sort of just clamp that out um it'll make it a, a better environment for everybody I think yeah, yeah. I, I took the lad to, to Bramall Lane and it was about four days before the new school term started. So he went to school with a whole host of new words to use uh, when he went back to school, <laughs> which which he was over the moon with. But uh, let, let's let's leave that behind and let's leave the weekend behind because let, let's get on to, to what happened on Monday night. Uh, and for those who may not know, because quite a lot of the commentary um, of that event was covered on social media mainly, but on Monday evening... Uh, Christian Speakman, Carol Louis Dreyfus, Steve Davison, and Dave Jones held a meeting with Sunderland fans um, and discussed a whole range of topics. I mean, it's been kind of 18 months uh, since Carol Louis Dreyfus bought the club out. and uh, But since then, uh, you know, there's been pretty much silence and they've just got on with things and it's just getting the business done. And, you know, we're not bothered about kind of engaging. You're just going to see what we get done, apart from the odd club kind of podcast, which is probably... You know, they, they take a look at what's going out before they actually put it out. They're not going to put anything out there if, you know, that's controversial. But there's been all that silence. And then suddenly a meeting with fans. And actually, I think it was the first topic that was up for discussion on the actual night because it's a massive shift in communication strategy, which, I mean, I'm still kind of on the fence on where it's going to go and what it's going to do. I think Colonel Louis Jeff has said that he's he got the club into a position now where he thinks, right, he's got the people, I think he said he's got the people in place where he thinks he can go and do this now and he can change the the strategy. But but I mean, what, what do you make of like having the event in the first place and kind of the owner's response to being asked about this sudden change in how they communicate? 
I think you've got to strike the balance just right, haven't you? I mean, once upon a time, obviously, there would be a message come through from from Sir Stuart Donaldson and do you want to do a podcast on the weekend? And that would be how you know the message was conveyed. Him and Charlie Methvin done things with with Rock Report. They've done things with the Love Supreme. They've done things with Wise Men Say. And you know, for the large part of the first season, that was it was great. I think people in, enjoyed obviously that sort of connectivity. But I think what Kirill has sort of sensibly done is you know just kind of kept his cards to his chest. He told us on day one. You know what his ambitions were and you know really did obviously um instill the message to say that there is going to be a lot of work ahead but i think that in terms of you know kind of making these appearances they i think they are quite important because and i guess pretty much actually in all of ella short's time in charge you know you, you never really got a, an understanding of the, the way he was thinking or the way he was working or, or just what sort of sense of direction he wanted to take the club then you just got the complete opposite of that under madrox's time in charge but i think now obviously in term, terms of you know kira louis dreyfus you know although we have had a couple of you know kind of obstacles and, and challenges along the way in time of he's been in charge but I mean there's been nothing but progression really since the day that he actually took over if you kind of think back to where we were who was in charge who was managing us I think if somebody said look you know let him navigate through this first season which we came very very close to, to obviously getting promoted um you know only fallen short in the playoffs but that first full season he's got us up we now look quite stable and at home in the championship in his second full season so I think it's only fair that obviously he does come out and he does answer questions and obviously just kind of keeps people up to date. But I think by doing it in the way that he has, it's it's a hell of a lot more professional in terms of, of doing these more frequent in future. I, I guess it would just be important to say maybe, maybe it should be recorded. I mean, I, at, at the time that we record this, I, I don't know if the club's recorded anything in particular. All we kind of got was sort of secondhand information. It was, it was tweeted out by another fan site, which again you know kind of from the response and, and looking at the message boards it was suggested that you know some of the tweets weren't the true reflection of what was said you know was maybe paraphrased and, and chunks were missing of what was you know accurately responded to in terms of the questions but um i, I would refer people to, to phil smith at the sun on deco he actually put something out earlier on and it does seem that it is quite you know, chunky in terms of full and accurate responses of, of what we've got. Um, like I say, I'm a fan of these regular updates, but I'm a fan of doing them in a more professional manner, you know, rather than asking, you know, podcasts and fan sites to, to host them. I think it's important to do them in, in the appropriate surroundings and making sure, obviously, that basically they just convey the, the proper messages. They tell us what's going on rather than just kind of tell us things that we want to hear because there was a lot of things that have come out since then, which you know got people panicking somewhat about maybe what we're going to do if we're going to be selling players but i think the important thing is to tell us why these actions needed to be taken and like i said just just be open and be be transparent because you know i think in football you're always a decision away from upsetting somebody and those in charge they they'll know that up here it, that is amplified big style and I can't imagine they're going to sit and complacently think that they've earned our trust forever. You know, they're, they're going to know that some sections of the fan base, the attitude's going to lean towards a certain thing or way of work, and whereas the other half will lean towards the other. But like I say, I think it's just important that that what he does is he comes out and, you know, it just keeps us up to date with, with what's going on. And um, I'm quite satisfied with, with the answers that's been provided so far, yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, just as you were talking there, I mean, because I, I had the same sort of feeling, you know, like these... 
it's, it's a bit strange where it's a, and don't get us wrong, I, th- I think it's a good thing that, you know, he's come out and he's been in front of some fans and he's answered questions and the questions will come in and they talked about all of these issues that are ongoing. But just to have that as a small group and then, as you said, only that small group of people who were able to attend and get in whatever kind of venue it was that, you know, that they were the only ones who heard that firsthand. I mean, you know, maybe some sort of like online thing that, you know, is a kind of a real time question and answer thing, but is recorded and people can, you know, it's put up on YouTube or put up on the website or, or something like that. And people, all of the fans kind of worldwide can hear those answers and actually hear them talk. So they can make their own assessment of the answers, because like you said, we'll come on to some of the topics in a minute. But I mean, like you said, when, when people are hearing it second, third hand, and then it ends up, you know, kind of <laughs> getting lost in translation when people are passing the message on, yeah, kind of. They're almost shooting themselves in the foot by not putting it out there. Yeah, I mean, I I had a mate in attendance. Uh, to be fair, I think it's probably common knowledge now, but um, it was reported that Dave Jones, in particular, was very unhappy with a piece of information that went out. He said that the the answer that he provided to one of the questions was not a true and fair representation of what he basically said. And I think, like I say, that's where you maybe have you know, somewhat a little bit of an issue where I think it's probably fair to say that sometimes, you know, there can be a bit of a desperate race to be the first one out to report things and get a bit of engagement on social media. But, you know, I think in doing so and by paraphrasing quotes here and there, it, it's it's probably not the right way to do things. I've been to these things in the past. I went to one with Niall Quinn and Steve Bruce many moons ago. And the first thing that they said when they came on stage, they actually said, could we ensure that fans that don't report on anything live as we're doing this? Because, you know, you, you'll you'll hear an answer and you think, I've got to go tell my mates that. And you've missed a chunk of what they then said. And, and like you said, things just get lost in translation. So, yeah, to be honest, I think that'd be a great idea. Whether Sunderland are technologically savvy enough to <laughs> do anything like that. I mean, look, I've reasonable to suggest it should be relatively straightforward, but you know, it might be one of those things where, where we might come back to it at a later stage. That, however, in fairness, is something that hopefully the Red and White Army can do, um, you know, in greater detail. Because although it was it was held at a really good venue for Sunderland, which I'd encourage a lot of people to go to for, for any particular event, maybe something at one of the function suites at the Stadium of Light or something like that, where there can be a bigger capacity of attendance. Because like I say, obviously there is a race and rush for tickets and, you know, a lot of people are going to miss out. And like I say, so far, the only thing that we've heard really is, you know, kind of tweets which have come out from a fan site that a member of the, the board isn't quite happy with. But we've also got a version of events from Phil Smith. Um, whether the Red and White Army is going to put anything online as well and say this is documented minutes, I don't know. Um, but it'd be ideal if you could maybe watch the footage back. It'd, it'd be pretty good. Like you say, obviously for... You know, fans who live outside the area, um, questions and things like that that could be put to them at the, at the time. Who knows? But um, I think the important takeaway is is that at least these things are being just are being done. You know, basically fans are being able to to sort of sit in front of of Kira Louis Dreyfus. They're they're able to sit in front of Christine Speakman, and they are able to actually put questions to them. And it's not just you know with say sanitized podcasts which are being put out. Um, you know, by the by the club, and that's. Not me, um, you know, kind of necessarily stating anything bad about the club podcasts because I think they're great. But unfortunately, they they would even be the first to say they're, they're going to have to tour the company line. You know, they wouldn't be able to say anything too controversial. They wouldn't be able to put a question to them 
without permission, so to speak, or without anything being pre-approved or greenlit. So I think by doing these sorts of events, it just enables that they can actually, you know, be put in front of an audience without preparing answers. And we can actually get a, a fair and accurate sort of version of events of where we are as a football club and, and where they're planning on taking us. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what they do next. But um, I mean, just in terms of the actual content, they talked about things like this, the state of the stadium, departure of Alex Neal, and, and again, all of this information that you know we're going to be talking about is all second hand, third hand. Um, I think everyone kind of everyone knows someone or knows someone who knew someone who, who was at, uh, actually there on the night. But um, it seemed like the big topic up for debate, and then especially that you know what followed on kind of social media afterwards was kind of Ross Stewart contract talks, and kind of I think linked to that there was some comments about. I think you've already touched on it was kind of stating there's going to be you know there's likely going to be a time when. We're going to have to sell our best players and maybe use that money to, to kind of keep improving. Um, I mean, from my point of view, I'd, I didn't think there was any new revelation in that sort of statement. I mean, as much as I'd be absolutely gutted if Ross Stewart left, and I think everyone was, and I think that's just an obvious statement. I think it's it's important that if if we have to sell, that we do it at the right time. And we kind of try and strike that balance of doing it at the right time. Because you can go way back. You can look at tons of examples. I mean, go back to the likes of Kevin Phillips back in the day. I think Quinny used him as an example a few times when he was chairman about talking about selling players when, you know, they were right at their peak almost. Because then, you know, you're just you're losing a, a player who's kind of losing their abilities and you're losing value at the same time. We'll mm-hmm. turn down 15, 20 million for, for Corny. Um, and I think, you know, I, I can probably go back to saying, you know, maybe we held on to the likes of Marco Gabardini for too long, even go way back. But on the flip side, there's deals like, you know, you can look at Josh Madger, you know, maybe we didn't bite the bullet and, and hang on to him to, to try and achieve something out of that. So you can look at it both ways. But to me, it makes, you know, overall, it makes perfect sense to say that, you know, we have to look at getting the time and right on these things. I mean, when you heard that statement, did you have any issue with it? No, but I won't lie to say that when 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 I first read it, when I first seen it, I thought, oh, Christ, this is happening so much sooner than I thought it would. <laughs> um, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I was gutted. But then, you know, the um, story that came out basically to say that Dave Jones was apparently not happy with the way that that was sort of portrayed online Look, I, I think, you know, like you've said, basically, over the course of all of my life and all of your life, Sunderland have made a lot of catastrophic transfer dealings. You picked out Lamine Corney, for example, who'd had, what, a couple of decent months with us, and we then held on to him where we could have made an absolute fortune and profit. And, you know, I think the club tried to demonstrate a little bit of ambition, which is, you know, fair, fair enough. They really dug the heels in. But subsequently, we committed to then pay him reportedly like about £90,000 a week. So that's when it goes wrong. I mean, when, when somebody like Kenwin Jones' stock was was very, very high and he was linked with Tottenham, and he was linked with, with a lot of other teams as well. You maybe look at that and think that was probably the time to do that rather than, say, sell him to Stoke a couple of years later and then do that over a staggered schedule of receiving a couple of million every couple of years but what i would say is and this is not just exclusive to sunderland no matter what football club you support every single football player has a valuation every single player will be up for sale you know so to speak maybe not manchester city maybe not 
property in Newcastle now that they've got all of their their money as well. You know, maybe they can say dig in and, and hang on a little bit longer. But every player has their valuation. And it's like you said, it's making sure you strike whilst the iron's hot. And you look through so many, so many transfers. Some have went the right way, some haven't. Josh Madger was an absolutely shocking deal. If you think of the money that we got, it derailed our season and it ultimately, in my opinion, cost us promotion. You can maybe look back at a few others at various times as well of the players we bring in and we've just got them all wrong. Ultimately, now what this model is, look, it's going to rub people up the wrong way and it's going to upset a lot of people because you're going to get so attached to somebody like Ross Stewart. But when a big deal is put to us on the table that we can't you know, literally say no to, that is obviously where the club is going to have to look at that money and reinvest it and basically try and bring in more players. I know one of these quotes, which was quite misquoted um, from, from Dave Jones, was something along the lines of saying that Sunderland need to sell players to sort of attract other players. And I think my interpretation of that was basically Sunderland, what they need to do is they, they need to show that we are a pathway of success for players. So if you look at, say, somebody like Ross Stewart, and I mean it with the greatest of respect, he literally had no career of note before coming to Sunderland. Not many people would have heard of him. He's bided his time. You know, he went through the first couple of months without making much of an impact. He had an amazing season last season. He started very, very brightly this season. But now it seems that we're in a position where it seems very, very unlikely that we're going to strike some sort of deal with him on his contract. I know we've got the extension, but it's basically now determining what he's worth to us. So I think if somebody came in with an offer of less than five million and the club were to accept, I, I'd be very, very upset with that. It's determining what he's worth, but that's what's going to be subjective to so many because there's a lot of people who will argue that if he was fit all season, that he could have potentially had us in a playoff position. He would have turned some of those nil-nils into wins and he would have turned some of the defeats into draws. So you would maybe ask those particular people, what is he worth? And they might argue that, well, if he's worth promotion to the Premier League, then he's worth an extra 100 million to us. But obviously, like I say, you've just got to got to have a bit of a nuance to the argument and you've got to make sure we do things the right way. I do not want to lose him. I am very, very much in the camp where I want to extend his contract and I want to make sure that we can tie him down for a couple of seasons. But the reality is, is he's going to have ambitions of playing further up the, the ladder I, I think, obviously, Rangers is the club who he's, who he's linked with. I'd, I'd be gutted if he went there. I really would. Because with all due respect to, to Rangers or to Celtic or anybody like that, Scottish football is is not, in my opinion, somewhere where he should be playing his trade. I think he could go on to play in the Premier League. And I think that is ultimately where he wants to go. Now, his ambitions may exceed ours because I think he will want to get there sooner than we physically can do. But that's where we're going to have to compromise so what we will then have to do is we'll have to sell him, but we'll then have to take that vision and sell that to other players down the line. So you look at somebody like Jack Clark, who have basically got out of a Premier League squad, who maybe made the wrong move at the wrong time to a massive club like Tottenham, perhaps fell a little bit out of love with football. You look at the likes of Patrick Roberts as well. You go to these players who you know have talent, who you know fit into what we're trying to do, and you tell them, and you say, you look at the success that we've done with other players and how we've rebuilt their career, and that's how we entice people back into the club. So, like I say, I know a lot of people might have took sort of a, a bit of a different outlook to what Dave Jones has reportedly said, but that's my interpretation on it. Ultimately, there is going to be players along the journey that come with us. Some are going to stay for more, longer than others. 
but unfortunately some are going to be cherry picked as well by by clubs who have much much more money than us and ultimately some of these players are going to go at the teams in the same division as well that's going to aggravate people but unfortunately that's just the nature of football that's not just Sunderland because we are you know trying to make a couple of pounds here and there that is Sunderland trying to be as sustainable as we can we know we're going to make losses every season going forward but it's trying to minimize them as well as obviously progressing as a football club but like I say although it's a long-winded response I think we'll sell Ross Stewart hoping we'll sell on to the summer um but like I say it's going to be it's going to be an interesting interesting January I think I'm just going to keep Sky Sports News off for the month because I'm just going to panic stations I'm going to turn my phone off but we're we're talking about we're talking about the timing in terms of you know Sunderland controlling it. But I mean, if I was Ross Stewart, twenty seven year old, if you know he's probably at the peak. Well, he's absolutely at the peak of where he's been in terms of his profile. And you know, if a if a a Wolves, Southampton, West Ham, Everton, Leicester, you know, someone at the bottom half of the Premier League come sniffing in January. I mean, we we might be talking about Sunderland saying yes, no, but then, of course, on the flip side, you risk having a player who's thinking, well, no, I want to be off. It's you know, it might mm-hmm. be my only chance to ever play in the Premier League if one of these clubs in January say we need a goal scorer, we can get him for like you said, you know, in in the realms of Premier League strikers, six, seven million, eight million, you know, that's probably nothing to some of these clubs when they're looking at Premier League yeah. survival, and I wouldn't blame them. If if he turned around to Sunderland and said, "I I, I want to go for it," I'm you know I'm sorry, but you know it's been great, but you know it's a cracking opportunity. A 27, 28 year old, I, I absolutely wouldn't blame him if he if he took one of those opportunities. No, I wouldn't. And I mean, hey, listen, me, me and you, we we both love Sunderland. We've travelled far and wide to watch Sunderland. We love them. This is our football club. This is everybody's football club who's listening, and we're gonna look at that and we're gonna say that we're the biggest club in the division and. Yeah, it is going to hurt. It's going to sting when players leave. But it's a short career. But I think the difference is with somebody like Ross Stewart, I think, you know, he is he's a model professional in terms of the things that you do here. But like I say, reality speaking, Ross Stewart to date has probably not earned a considerable amount of money in comparison to other footballers in the division. Maybe you look at, say, players who've been relegated from the Premier League who played Burnley who maybe are of a similar stature to him or Norwich or somebody like that who are earning, you know, maybe three, four, five, six times what he's earning. So he's probably going to look at that at some point and think, look, you know, I've got a decision to make. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity to get into the Premier League. Maybe it's only for a couple of months, but he's going to challenge himself to do it. And his career trajectory so far has been nothing but upwards. So I, like I say, I know he's only had five, six games this season. So, so far I think but I'm pretty confident that not only could he do a job for for any team in this division I, I definitely think he could he could be a handful for a side in the Premier League so look like I say if he leaves I'll be gutted I really I really will but you know he'll, he'll not be the the first big striker who we've lost really you know we, we've lost to four twice although the second time didn't really count we've lost Phillips Darren Bent like you said Gabby Adini Don Goodman you know the players will come and go we've just got to we've got to trust and again this this is obviously that that's the the important thing isn't it we've got to have trust and we've got to have faith and we've got to have patience in the recruitment team that they can bring in somebody who basically can replicate what Ross Stewart has done honestly what I'd be looking for in January now is I'd be looking out for his replacement already 
like I say, I think that quote was basically saying, now might not be the time to sell, but that time is soon coming. So I think we've got to be looking at that and we've got to be making sure that we've got somebody ready to take that spot if that day comes when he goes. We did it with Charlie White, really, didn't we? You know, Charlie White scored 30-plus goals and nobody really batted an eyelid when he went. And to be fair, that last season, he was excellent for us. But we had Ross Stewart waiting in the ranks. So that's the way I'd like to think that we will operate from this point going forward. If he goes, we've got somebody who's ready to take a spot. Like I say, it'll be a sad day. You know, he's made a, a really good mark on his uh, on his time here at Sunderland. We'll all remember that um, the memories that he gave us in the playoff semi-final and the playoff final. Um, great guy. But I think he's, you know, he's destined for bigger things. And unfortunately, at the moment, you know, we're still a million miles away from the Premier League, whereas he's, he's probably going to have the opportunity sooner than we are. Yeah, you almost brought tears to my eyes. I think remembering <laughs> the day when Don Goodman and Mark all left, but uh, yeah, sitting here reminiscing over that. But uh, but I mean, I mean, the the thing is, the difference is now. You know, if we do, let's say we do lose Ross Stewart. I mean, the difference is now. I mean, again, you know, you mentioned it earlier on. Looking at where we were exactly twelve months ago, actually looking at exactly where we were, what we would have been talking about if we were doing a pod, what you know, a year ago exactly. I mean, our last three games. 5-1 defeat at Rotherham, 3-0 defeat oh. at Sheffield Wednesday. And the last game before the date we're recording, we were dumped out of the FA Cup in the first round against oh. Mansfield Town. Um, just to give you some good memories of that. But 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 in te- like looking at Christian Speakman, looking at those transfer windows, looking at what Stuart Harvey's done since he's come to the club, I'd I'd now trust the club with saying, Yeah, we're gonna cash in. Because actually now I'd I'd trust the club and the people at the club to spend that money and actually improve us again. Yeah. And look, like I say, I, it's, it's a mad thing that basically, you know, you can kind of view this in a, in a positive, so to speak. But I think that actually represents how much we've progressed. You know, it's not just Ross Stewart, who's the talking point. It's it's Dennis Sergan, who's linked with, you know, a move yeah. back to Tottenham. He's been linked with Brentford. So we have high caliber players who... You know, people are obviously going to be sniffing around. We're going to have Premier League scouts at our games. Of course we are. But like I say, obviously, what what we now need to, to kind of demonstrate to, to obviously new recruits is that we've, we've got a tremendous track record over the course of the past year or so. Yeah, you know, not every single one of these transfers have worked out. But you're probably talking at least 90, 90% plus of the dealings that we've done have been, have been successful. Um, and like I say, I think um, that the football club will... They'll be desperate to keep Ross Stewart. That that I'm confident yeah. of. I can't imagine that there's any any part of Tony Mowbray or any part of you know the board that's kind of whoring Ross Stewart out, so to speak, to basically say let's let's just sell him or anything like that. I, I honestly do not think that that is what we're doing. But I think we are being realistic, and we are probably going to have to strike while the iron's hot. I'm just going to just touch on something, by the way. Sorry, uh, just mentioning Tony Mowbray. One thing that kind of aggravated me me a little bit was um was some of the comments that was made about Ross Stewart I think it was last week where they were talking about fees and things like that and he got into a bit of a hypothetical uh discussion about you know agents and, and haggling for transfers and one of the fees that was mentioned was 28 million and then basically asking a side to come back for five like uh, one thing I would say is you know I think the media people within the football club should, should probably be having a word to say like please do not throw around those figures because there is nobody in our side who is going to command that sort of fee. Not yet. Probably not for a, a long time. Maybe until we get back in the Premier League. Even as a Premier League club, we've only ever achieved that with Jordan Pickford. 
So I think I think maybe we can try and prevent, obviously, you know, throwing that sort of figure out. And then if we were to see a sell Stewart in January or we sell, sell him for next summer, I'd hate to think that anybody would refer back to that and say, hold on, we've sold him for, say, five or seven, but we were promised 20 years. You know, that that really does need to be stopped as well. Um, because that's, that's like I say, conveying that sort of message out in public, it's really not conducive to, to anybody's sort of ideas of what sort of money that we're going to be bringing in for any of these players. You give little faith. Just wait till Jewison Bennett smashes Costa Rica into the World Cup <laughs> final, gets the golden boot, and then we get 40 million bid in from Juventus or someone. But I mean, just on um, Tony Mowbray, I mean, just where, because me and Gav touched on it last week, and, you know, it, it, so, well, again, second hand comments, but it seemed like they were asking the fans who were there to, to kind of back the manager and get behind him. And I've, I kind of find it difficult to have too many issues with Tony Mowbray. I mean, there was that one. I mean, some, you know, one or two comments in post-match interviews and all this sort of stuff. But, I mean, from from just looking at it, you know, on the pitch and what he's had to deal with, I mean, considering he's only had, I think it's like two games in charge um, with kind of, you know, fully fit out-and-out strikers, um, I, I think he's had a decent crack at the, you know, the job so far with, with what he's had to kind of cope with. And, you know, some of the football we've played in spells with, with him as manager has been some of the best I've seen us play in years. And in my book, we're, we're pretty much where we should be. You know, anything higher would be exceeding expectations. Anything lower, I'd be getting a bit nervous. But I mean, I mean, do you think some of the criticism is fair? Because I, I think with the job he's done so far, I, I think, uh, you know, certainly... You know, he needs to get his strikers fit and then give him a decent crack at the job and then let's see how he's doing after that. Yeah, I think his, look, his, his hands have been tied behind his back, haven't they? Like you say, he's been going into games where he's had no striker. I think if you look at basically when he came in and he had a near enough fit squad, he he beat Rotherham 3-0. I'll, I'll, I'll be open and honest, he was never, ever my first choice for the job. And I'll be honest, I was quite surprised actually when his name was banded about because I... I, I just never thought it would happen. At the time, I was convinced we were going to go down the route of appointing a younger manager. But to be fair, it's the appointment that made the most sense at the time. You know, he's got a, a pretty solid track record of, of improving teams, especially if you look at Blackburn um, in the past few years. And where he's left them now, he's left them as a side who, with a few kind of tweaks and enhancements, are challenging at the top end of the table once again. So I'd like to think if we could have that sort of journey with him a couple of years from now or you know, whenever his time's up with us, that if he's to leave us in a position where we're at the top end of the table, brilliant. Um, in terms of the criticism, look, like I said, you know, supporting Sunderland, it's, it's, it's an ordeal at times, isn't it? But it's also very, very subjective. So in terms of I may watch, you know, and come away and think, you know, such and such had a good game there and somebody might think I'm talking absolute rubbish. Um, so far, like I say, I think it's probably not right, you know, to kind of, be starting a debate on whether he should be in charge or not because I look I, I think his position certainly safe I would have certainly liked some of the results to to have been better along the way of course but you know I think if we can hopefully go into Friday night get a good result against Birmingham and then have the break get them away for this warm weather training camp get the the lads back fit who's been out for for such a long time we're going to be attacking the second half of the season with with what, maybe five or six players that we, we actually haven't had for quite some time. I mean, by the time Dan Ballard comes back, we haven't even mentioned him, we forgot about him. 
by the yeah. time somebody like him comes back, it's going to be like a new signing once again. And I'm never the type who basically says, you know, we can't criticize or anything like that because I look back at the weekend and I think the team that he picks, you know, I I, I think it was poor. I, I sat there for the best part of the first half and I'm thinking, you need to make a change. You need to even make a change in the first half. And he didn't do it. And ultimately, within the first three minutes of the second half, you know, we, we didn't pay heed to that warning and we've conceded. But like I say, I think there is positives. I think the positives outweigh the negatives. Like you said, some of the football we've played at times, Christ, you look back at the goal we scored against Redden, look at the goal we scored against Huddersfield. I mean, we've, we've never knocked the ball around like that, not even in yeah. some of the Premier League days. So, like I say, I, I'm very much of the belief that we should we should certainly, you know, stick with him, keep behind him. But one thing I would say is, look, the, the, the noise on social media and message boards, things like that, it's always different to the noise that you'll hear inside of a ground. Stick the telly on on Friday night or for anybody who's travelling down there. Full away end will be behind them. And it'll be the same when um, you know when we pick back up after the World Cup. Still be chance of Tony Mowbray's red and white army. So I think yeah. that can be the thing with social media. It can be explosive. It can be reactionary. And what will happen is when things are retweeted and amplified, it almost you know kind of conveys this message that you know people are wanting them out and things like that. I haven't heard any, any chance and I, I, haven't, I haven't seen anything in particular yet that that in my opinion would warrant him and his head on the chopping block, so to speak. Um, he just needs a bit of time. I mean, look, he, he came in to obviously a, a difficult set of circumstances as well. Obviously, when Alex Neal, you know, kind of just left us on no notice, give him till January. Let's see what players he brings in, and and then hopefully, like I say, we can we can have a decent second half of the season. But like you said, in terms of where we are now, it's about right. I'm I'm happy with where we are. I know we, you know, break the fourth wall we're currently recording whilst a lot of games are going on this evening. So I don't know where we are as we speak. But middle of the pack, I would have snapped your hands off for that a few months ago. Yeah. We've uh, we've actually uh, we've actually dropped to, to 17th, but in terms of points, we're not we're not closer to the uh, bottom three. In terms of points, we're still four points. Uh, clear of the bottom three but um, but I'm glad you said that about social media because it's normally me saying that about social media and I only find out because people keep telling me what people are saying on social media which um, is annoying in itself but you mentioned Friday night uh, so let's move on to the Birmingham game at St Andrews um, as you said I think the away end sold out so I think we've got just over 2,000 making the trip to the West Midlands and it's a trip that I hate making. Um, I first went to St Andrews in 1996. Steve Agnew and Andy Melville give us a 2-0 win under Reedy. Uh, I think at the time it was, it was Barry Fry who pretty much bought every player who ever made an appearance in the Football League, I think, for Birmingham at the time. I think he had about a squad of like 60 players or something. Ridiculous <laughs> like that. Um, but but it all kicked off that day. So it's an abs- it's a ground I hate going to. Um, Looking at our, at our record, recent record at St Andrews we won in the League Cup in 2014 but in the league we haven't won since Mickey Gray scored the winner back in September 1997 just looking at the current league because it's um, it's been moving around tonight um, they're 10th in the league so the seven places um, above us and there's four points between the two sides looking again at their form they're unbeaten at home in the last five although they've drawn four out of nine at home this season on the face of it I think it's going to be a tough one, but I don't know about you, but I'm more confident at the moment when we're playing away from home. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same, actually. I think um, I think it actually causes us to play better football, really, when teams 
you know, kind of sit on top of us, that put us under pressure, and it enables us to to play on the counter. It's going to be a tough game. Um, like you say, it's never been a pleasant place to go. Although these days it's a lot emptier than it used to be. They don't get big crowds. But that being said, what they lack in terms of that, you know, they they do make up with a pretty decent team. I think if you offered me, you know, kind of predictions or anything like that last week, I ideally would have wanted four points out of the Cardiff game and this game, um, which kind of leaves us chasing, obviously. Yeah, I mean, look, they've they've had some pretty decent wins. Um, they've probably done a little bit better than people might have given them credit or thought so far, but. Um, you know, why not? Like I say, we've obviously won at a couple of tough places so far this season. A lot of people will be keen to write us off. You'll watch Sky Sports and they'll be talking about, you know, maybe we're struggling and in some form of perilous position. But like you said, look, you know, you go win a game and all of a sudden you shoot straight back up the table. We are missing, obviously, a couple of people who go nines out. You'll be a really, really big loss. But, you know, what better opportunity now for somebody like Trey Hume to try and um, and come in and obviously cement that place as his own because, you know, he's finally going to get a, a good stab at it and he's likely to start that game, obviously, with Gucci missing, with 0-9 missing. So, big opportunity for a lot of players and it's, um, it's a game that I really expect us to put everything into, especially with the break. So, yeah, tough one to call. I think if you ask me for a prediction now, I'd probably say a draw. But yeah, like I say, I think away from home, our form, it's a, it's a hell of a lot better. And I can't really explain why, but I, I I don't know. I think maybe teams underestimate us, but the longer games go on whilst we're away from home, you always fancy our chances. We're always growing to it a lot bit as well. So assuming and providing, obviously, that Tony Mowbray picks, you know, a really decent start in 11. We're going to need a bit of experience in there. We're going to need the likes of Pritchard. We're going to need Corey Evans back in there as well. I'm pretty confident that we can go get a decent result. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny actually. I mean, I, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go for a, another score draw like we had at Luton. Um, I think it's going to be a similar game uh, to the one at Luton. I think it's going to be a tough game, hopefully as well. Because I mean, that, after that Luton game, we had to bounce back after the Burnley game, so we had to kind of hit back. And I think, I think the team was superb down at Luton after that Burnley game. I think that you know we didn't know how they were going to react to that because it was it was a massive blow after you know that kind of switch at half time, but. Having said that, I went for us to to absolutely stuff Cardiff at the weekend. So, so clearly, I, I I know absolutely now. But but I mean, the the frustrating thing about Sunderland at the minute. I mean, we're talking about trying to predict, but and and again, it might be the makeup of the team and the the style that we play, the young side that we've got, and trying to be on the front foot and play play in a certain way. But it's frust- it's just frustrating that you just don't know what Sunderland's going to turn up. Yeah. But I think that obviously that comes with having such an an, an experienced side. Unfortunately, um, you know this isn't sort of the foregone conclusions in the past where you'd maybe have you know Roy Keane's championship sides going to places where you think right you know we're coming away with at least a point or Peter Reid's side where you're like we're going to win just by how many today. But you are right, and I think that's obviously where players are going to have to stand up and try and demonstrate a bit more accountability. You look at the game the other day and. A lot of heads went down. There was a lot of naivety in in some of the things that were done, but they, they've they've got to learn from that. They've got to grow from this, you know. And I think in terms of what we're doing now, you know, we're kicking along okay. Granted, I think some of the results that we've had in recent weeks have been poor. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's it's just that uncertainty. Unfortunately, we we've haven't been blessed with obviously having the full fitness of everybody of late. But if we, like I say, if we can go into this one, then we can. 
We can play the game we know we can. We can try and frustrate the opposition, just slow things down, and obviously just keep them at bay. Most important thing is to try and come away at least, you know, without conceding. And, um, and we've just got to take our chances. Somebody who was obviously, um, you know, maybe considered below par the other day was Ellis Sims. He's look, he's nowhere near fit. No. Um, but you just look at the difference that he made when he came on at Luton. You look at the difference that he made when he came on against Huddersfield. So I think if we if we use him correctly, maybe it's the case that we don't start him. You bring him on perhaps at half time. Like I say, it's it's a game that we can go and win. And you know we've surprised a few teams this season coming away from places where we haven't been given a chance. So why not do it at another one? That's it, that's it. And let's hope that the lads can kind of get us a much needed three points and give us a, a good Friday night and set us up for the weekend. But but on that note, uh, thank you very much, Craig. Always a pleasure, mate. No problem. Let's hope uh, the next time it's going to be uh, another hungover podcast, maybe celebrating promotion, just like the last. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking looking forward to next May already. Not League or... One though. Well, we're not League no, One no, no. Let's just clear that up. We're not going no. back there. Although having said that, I, I'm really I wouldn't look forward to that hangover again. It's not really something I want to experience <laughs> anytime soon. But uh, but thanks again, mate. Good to catch up. Pleasure as always. Good stuff. And and thanks again for everyone for listening. Uh, keep a look at Rock Report for all the build up ahead of our trip to Birmingham on Friday so don't forget it's a Friday kickoff this week and keep an eye out in all the usual places for the pod that should be dropping very soon but from us bye for now normally being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.